So pleased that we get to be together for the very beginning of our four-part winter series called Tandem. So here we are. This is a tandem bicycle lovingly restored by my uh, young friend uh, Ryan, uh, kind of a vintage tandem bike with all new components. And uh, bicycle, bicycle belt for two. You, you get the idea. You've got two seats. You've got two handlebars. You've got two sets of pedals. But they are connected and always moving in the same direction. Someone asked me yesterday, Jeff, have I ever ridden a tandem bike? And I said, yes, and it all almost ended my marriage. <laughs> Some of you have had this experience. I was in front, and I just remember the little chirpy voice in back saying, let me know when a bump is coming. So anyway... So as much as uh, this brings up some painful memories in my life, this is the image uh, for our four-week series that's called, uh, it's called Tandem. And you say, Jeff, thank you so much for breaking down the intricacies of a bicycle built for two, but what has this to do with us? And the answer is just right here. It's talking about uh, something called the gospel and how often the gospel is presented, and there's two words there, in word and indeed, meaning when someone comes to understand the work of Jesus and what he did, they need to hear something, but often that gets really powerful and reinforced when they see something in someone's life, particularly acts of, uh, of love, acts of compassion. And so uh, we see this tandem thing in the ministry of Jesus, Jesus uh, presenting something called the kingdom, both in word or in deed, and we, we see it here on the Sea of Galilee. Uh, Jesus has just landed and stepped out of the boat. He's with his disciples, like his 12 closest, and I get the feeling he was looking for some R&R. &R. They have been super busy. I think he just wants to get away, have some private conversations with his disciples about what's been going on. However, the crowd figured out where he was headed, went to the other side of the lake. It happened to be the north side of the Sea of Galilee, a place called Bethsaida. When Jesus lands, they're already there, and the crowd is growing. Now, I don't know about you, but if I had a vacation plan and it was interrupted by a mob, I would just go, I'm going to get back in the boat, cross the other side. I can do this all day. That's not what Jesus did. So Jesus saw the people. And man, it's like his heart went out to him. It says he had compassion on them because they were like, they were like sheep without a shepherd, kind of aimless and guideless. And so he began to do two things. Uh, check this out in Luke chapter 9. We read these words. It says, he welcomed them and he, he spoke to them about the kingdom of God and he healed those who needed healing. There it is right there tandem. Back to our tandem image. Uh, he spoke to them about the kingdom of God. That's the word part. And then he healed people who were in need of healing. That's the deed part, the actions that reinforce the words. What I'm trying to say here is that with this thing called the gospel, there's something that needs to be heard. Baby, there's something that needs to be seen. And this series is designed to stretch us. Man, it may stretch you in your lifestyle, in that thing about deeds, acts of love, acts of compassion. And the question you should be asking during this series is, how is your behavior, how, does it, how is it consistent and how does it reinforce 
who Jesus was and what he claimed to do. So I think some of us are going to be just stretched in how we conduct our day-to-day lives, our deeds, our actions, our works, our compassion, our love, uh, our serving. So I think some of us are going to be hyper-stretched in this area of our lifestyle. But then there's that other part, that word part. And I think just so many of us just feel like totally inadequate or quite frankly disinterested in having some kind of a, a Jesus conversation with another human being. I, 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 don't, I don't want to turn you into a street preacher. What I'm talking about here is the basic ability to have a conversation with your niece or nephew or with someone at work. And so somewhere along the line, if someone is going to come in contact with the saving, rescuing, healing message of Jesus, they're going to have to hear something from someone. And I want to suggest the possibility that that someone could under certain circumstances, be you, at least to be able to answer someone's question. If someone says, how are you living with hope through this cancer thing? I think we ought to be able to give a very, very short, succinct, simple answer that ties back to the Christ and his work in us. So uh, if some of us are going to be hyper-stretched in this area of our lifestyle, being consistent with the message of Jesus... I think at the same time, a lot of us are going to be really, really stretched in this area of just being able to give a basic, basic explanation of what this thing called the gospel means and what it was that Jesus came to do. So tandem, bringing the gospel in word and in deed, I think will be stretched and really challenged in a couple uh, critical areas of our lives. And today's just the intro conversation today. Uh, I broke it down into three questions, just asking three questions that I think are three of the critical questions in this tandem conversation, the gospel in word and in deed. And question number one is just a question, three questions. Question number one, what is my deepest need? Question number one, what is my deepest need? in life. So I thought of this tandem thing while I was reclining with my mouth open (laughs) because I was having a root canal. And this is this year. And as I was reclining, curling my toes, having a root canal done, my endodontist, Dr. Hodges, began to tell me a story. And throughout his story, I just kept saying the same thing. (laughs) And so Dr. Hodges told a story about being here, a refugee camp in Lebanon for Syrian refugees that had fled the country during the war. And he was there to provide dental care for refugees in this Lebanese uh, camp, refugee camp. You know, people torn from their homes, torn from their work, run to another country, grab your kids, pack a few things, kind of a a desperate situation. And he was there to do dental care. But it's what he told me as he was doing my root canal. He he said that you you give shots, right, to numb the area of a person's mouth that needs attention. But then it takes a little while for that part of the mouth to get numb. You got a few minutes. And during those few minutes, Dr. Hodges would ask a question. He would ask a question through an Arabic translator, and he would uh, draw on a little piece of paper. What he would do is he'd draw 
circle. And through the Arabic translator, he would ask the question, do you believe our world is broken? Now, remember who he's asking the question to. People that had fled their homes because of war. And the answer was just categorically, yes, I believe that our world is broken. And as their mouth continued to numb, he would ask uh, a second question. The second question he would ask is, do you think that this was the way it was intended to be? That is, our world is broken, but is there something in you that tells you that this is not the way it's supposed to be, not the way it was created to be? And you draw another circle, and I think maybe in that circle he would draw a heart. And this represented the creation that God planned in the beginning when all was right and all was good before sin enters the planet and messes up our relationship with the creator and our relationship with each other and our relationship with ourselves. It's like broken, broken relationships. And then as the anesthesia continues, you know, to work and the mouth continues to numb, uh, you draw a circle, and I think in that circle he would draw a cross and talk about how Jesus, God in human form, was the one that came, sacrificed his life for us so that we could be, so that this disjointed, broken relationship with God could be healed and we can live as healers in our world. And he would draw this in a couple minutes. And then through the translator, just ask a question Do you want to hear more about this Jesus? Yeah, no, thank you very much. And just do the dental work. Or, yeah, I would like to hear more about this Jesus, and uh, then they would probably have someone that they, that they could talk to. Now, what, what my root canal guy was doing in that minute was called tandem. Let's go to the, he was presenting Jesus in both word and in deed. That, that is, uh, our world is broken, and Jesus came to forgive, repair, restore, and reconcile, but also he was there showing loving actions of kindness. It's not unlike that Luke chapter 9 thing where Jesus rolls up on shore, and it says he spoke about the kingdom of God and healed those who were sick. It wasn't unlike that, bringing in word and deed. Now, a question, a question, a real question is, why is the Jesus part necessary? I mean, dude, just go to some developing country, drill wells, take care of hunger issues, do dental work, medical work, economic opportunity. Why the word part? Why the Jesus thing? Isn't it good just to go to an impoverished area and provide dental care? The answer is yes, but just incomplete from a Christian worldview. And the question, why that Jesus thing, why is that even necessary, gets to the heart, my friends, of what we believe our deepest needs are. We tend to see our deepest needs as financial, medical, and educational. If we come back to this broken world and that something got messed up, disjointed, ruptured, disconnected between us and our creator. What this means is the possibility that our deepest need is not dental. 
Our deepest need is a fracturing with the creator that needs to be healed. That is at the heart of our deepest need. So I want to show you a picture. I, I, two years ago, this, uh, two years ago, December, we're going through a series called uh, Dwelling Place, and I showed you this, showed you this image. I just felt compelled kind of to, to circle uh, back to it. This statue here, it's a sculpture, uh, and it, the original was done by uh, a French sculpture named uh, Auguste Rodin, and he did this in like uh, 1881, but then there, uh, from the model he made, there are, I think they call them casts, and there are 12 of these scattered around the world, and one happens to be in our backyard. Uh, this picture here is from uh, the Frederick Meyer Garden Sculpture Parks. This is one of the 12 casts that were made from that 1881 sculpture, and the title of the sculpture is Eve. It's like this, uh, Adam and Eve, Eve. And it's Eve after something we would call the fall. Eve after the fall. Now, because this one at Fred Marigarden Sculpture Park has been outside and exposed to the weather, it's uh, a, little, a little darker. But, but uh, travel to the uh, Art Institute of Chicago, the um, Impressionists, exhibit, and there is an Eve there also that is, is much cleaner. Walk up to it. I think that's a Monet that happens to be behind it there. But this, this is what Rodin was attempting to do. Uh, Eve is cowering. She's covering herself up. One hand is lifted protectively. It's like she's contorted. She's a bit hunched. She's a bit twisted. And what Rodin in this sculpture was attempting to do is not show the condition of Eve following this thing called the fall, but to show the condition of all humanity following the fall. Covering up, contorted, hunched, humiliated, shame-filled, and hiding. This, this deal about a good creation, don't never, never lose that. In the opening pages of our Bible, there's this chorus, this motif, this riff that recurs throughout the creation story. And it's like, and God saw what he had made, and God saw that it was good, and God saw that it was good, and God saw that it was good. Plants, animals, streams, rivers, oceans, and God saw that it was good. And then it's like the end of creation week, and God saw all that is made, and it was very good. Good, good only good, only beautiful, very good. And then when sin enters into the planet, there's this moment where God is walking into the garden and he says to Adam and Eve, where are you? And they're hiding. And he says, why are you hiding? And they said, because we knew we were naked. Now before that, it says that Adam and Eve were naked and unashamed. And by that, I, I don't think it just means physically naked. I think it means like nothing to hide. Total vulnerability, total openness. And now Adam and Eve are in hiding in the garden. And I think we've been hiding ever since. Because there's a sense in which we believe, if you knew me, you couldn't possibly want me. This is what's broken at the fall. What's broken at the fall is not only that uh, I get dislocated with God, get estranged from my creator at a distance from the one who created me and why I was created. It's not only my broken relationship with God, it leads to broken relationships with each other and broken relationships within myself. We lose self-knowledge. We don't even know ourselves. It's broken, broken, 
broken. This is why Dr. Hodges, when he goes to a refugee camp, is not only addressing the dental issue, he's addressing what he believes is the deepest need of mankind, that we are estranged from God and need to know our creator once again through Christ. You're saying, well, okay, Jeff, this word and deed thing, this action and word, Jesus came and he healed. He healed a lot of people. I want to drop in, literally drop in on one of Jesus' healings, and I want you to see something. I want you to not only see what he does, I want you to see what he says. I want you to hear what he says. And it happens to be a time in Jesus' ministry when people are just flocking. It's the height of his popularity, the peak of his popularity, and he's teaching inside a house, right? People find out he's teaching in the house. They, like, cram around the doors, around the windows. And then some of you know the story. Four guys are carrying their buddy to Jesus. The dude's paralyzed in the legs, cannot walk. And they, they bring in their buddy. They're going to take him to Jesus. They can't get to the door. They can't get to a window. They climb up. Do you know the story? Climb up the outside staircase, hack a hole in the roof, and then lower their buddy down uh, by ropes in the middle of Jesus' teaching. Uh, so this is an artist depiction of the story. So here's a guy being lowered to Jesus so Jesus could heal the guy. All right? So what's Jesus going to say? I know what he's going to say. He's going to look at the guy and he says, I heal you. Stand up and walk. He's going to heal him of his paralysis. That's not what Jesus says first. What Jesus says first is this. Your sins are forgiven. <laughs> if I'm the guy who hasn't walked for a few years and I'm being lowered down and Jesus looks at me and says, your sins are forgiven, I'm thinking like, uh, thank you. Not why I'm here. <laughs> Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. And the people around him, the religious types, they just go nuts. They're like, who is this? Only God can forgive sins. And Jesus kind of going up, yep. And then he tells him, stand up and walk. Why does Jesus begin with, your sins are forgiven? Because why doesn't he meet the guy's most basic need, his deepest need, the inability to walk? What if the guy's deepest, most basic need isn't the use of his legs? What if the guy's most basic and deepest need is that he is disjointed from his creator? Jesus, uh, your sins are forgiven. Attempting to meet, what if our most basic need is not financial, educational, economic? What if our most basic need is right here? separated from our creator. And, you know, by the way, as I draw this thing, you go, man, I'm so glad that your root canal guy had the ability to do that. Some of you go, I, Jeff, I don't have a clue. I, I could never walk someone through something like that. Look, it's just three circles, and it's, it could be a three-minute conversation, and it, it's pretty simple. So we're here to help. There's an event coming up, December 7. It's a Thursday night. 90 minutes. It's called Sharing Your Faith. Some of you go, yeah, Sharing Your Faith, an event at the Kentwood campus, 90 minutes. I don't know. What this is, is it's three-circle training. All it is, it, by the way, this isn't a spiel. It's not a pitch. It can be something you can do on a napkin in a coffee shop, normal and natural, 
and moldable to your own story and to your background. And so it's just a tool. And so for some of you going like, I don't have a clue how I'd ever have a Jesus conversation with someone at work or a niece or nephew or anybody in my life. I don't have a clue. Probably good to have a clue, at least when someone's probing you and asking you to be able to respond. Why are you living with peace? Why are you living with hope? Why are you doing what you do? Why were you able to forgive them? Why were you able to walk away from that? Uh, I would just encourage you to highly consider that December 7, 90-minute, three-circle training as a way to get a... See, you say, Jeff, that will stretch me. Exactly. Uh, a little sharper in the word part of word and deed. So, sharing the gospel in word and deed. Some of you say, the gospel, Jeff, gospel. You keep using this word gospel. I've heard gospel music or gospel tabernacle. What Gospel. What does that even mean? And so, uh, question number one, what is our deepest need? Our deepest need is that we're fractured from our creator. Second question, question number two, possibly the most important question in this series is just what is the gospel? What is the gospel? Now, listen. People come into Ada Bible Church, in, into our campuses, uh, from a number of uh, religious backgrounds or no religious background at all. And so I don't want to assume for a second that when we talk about the gospel, that we're even thinking the same thing or using the word in the same way. And so because this series is about tandem, the gospel in word and in deed, I just need to get crystal clear for a moment on what gospel means, and it may be radically different from what you thought it meant. And so uh, our, our, our Bible, uh, it was translated into English like in the 1500s. But when the New Testament of our Bible was written, it was written in common Greek, kind of everyday travel Greek, a type of Greek called Koine Greek, which was different than classical Greek, kind of the everyman's Greek, right? And the word that's used for gospel, it's a combination of two words. Uh, it, the word is uh, euangelion or evangelion, and uh, the two words combined were simply these, good news. The word gospel, it really means, it means, it means good news. And so often when you're reading through the life and ministry of Jesus and you see Jesus talking about good news, it's that word gospel, that euangelion thing. So uh, in Mark chapter one, where Jesus is just beginning his public ministry, you read these words. The time has come, Jesus said. He's going from village to village to village. The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the Good news, there it is right there, uh, gospel, euangelion. Uh, See, Jesus is showing it from village to village. He says, it's time. It's time. The time has come. The kingdom of God is drawing near. The kingdom of God, when God is king, when God is king, that which is broken gets restored. When God is king, the forces of darkness get rolled back. When God is king, healing comes to the broken. The kingdom of God is near. And he tells people to do two things. Last line, what are the two things? What? Repent. <laughs> that didn't come from a street preacher with a bullhorn. That came from Jesus. Repent and what? Believe the good news. Those are two good words to hang on to, repent and believe. By the way, the word repent, re re repent just means to turn. It means like a U-turn. It means to change your direction. He says, I need you to change your mind. I need you to change your mind about something. I need you to repent and you should believe the good news of the coming kingdom. So when Jesus used the word gospel, um, repent and believe the gospel, the good news, this was a word that was already commonly in use, not just for Jesus. It was a word that was commonly in use 
for the Roman emperors. So uh, image here of Caesar Augustus, the Roman emperor at the time when Jesus was born. There went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed, you know, in the Christmas story. Uh, so this statue of Caesar Augustus in the uh, archaeological museum of Thessalonica in northern Greece. Uh, when Caesar uh, was placed on the throne or took the throne, heralds were sent out to proclaim the good news that Caesar Augustus had ascended to the throne. The good news, in fact, there's a, a plaque in uh, Western Turkey that was found that said, the beginning of the gospel of Caesar Augustus. Mark's gospel, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The beginning of the gospel of Caesar Augustus. Now, what's, what's pivotal here for us is this, is that the gospel is not something you do. The gospel is the announcement of something that has happened, something that has occurred. In this case, Caesar Augustus is now emperor of the Roman, uh, king of the Roman Empire. It's something that has happened. It's something life-altering. It's something earth-shaking, earth-shaking, life-altering news. It's something that has occurred, not something that you do. This is, this is pivotal. This might be super helpful to walk through with you. Now, after Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection... We began to talk about the gospel as something that has been done. Um, <laughs> don't grow numb to the idea of Jesus on a cross. It, it, it's in paintings, it's in statues, a cross and jewelry. Don't, it, it's scandalous, it's astounding, it's astonishing. You realize what happens in the crucifixion is that the creator of our planet, the creator of the good, beautiful planet, enters the planet as a human being and offers himself in our behalf. The crucifixion is God on a cross. And that cross thing, crucifixion was the worst possible death for the worst possible people. It was dehumanizing. It was inhumane. And God subjects himself to that to pay off debts that weren't his, but debts that were ours. It's not just a story of the crucifixion. It's a story of the resurrection. The resurrection is not just Jesus comes back to life. The resurrection is the new life that he infuses us with and the life, we will, the life that death cannot stop. It's the new life he's created. But again, this is an announcement of something that has been done. Jesus comes, Jesus dies, Jesus rises, and our response is turn and believe. Let me write it this way. Uh, it is very common to view religion As stuff that you do, you go to church, you love your neighbor as yourself, often in an attempt to measure up to this creator. My friends, the gospel is not about what you do. It's something that has been done for you. So uh, 
I just, I just give, me, give me another minute on this one just because there's such a need for clarity because what often Christianity reduces to is do more, try harder, do more, try harder, do more, try harder, which is radically different than something has been done for you and you need to turn and receive it. So uh, let's go to Ephesus together for a moment. Uh, Ephesus, major port city on the Aegean Sea, fourth largest city in the Roman world. A generation after the crucifixion of Jesus, there is a Jesus community there. And the Apostle Paul writes to them, this is crazy, to explain Christianity to Christians. These people are already believers. He says, listen, listen, do not drift from the way that you entered the family, remember that it wasn't because of your goodness. Remember it was because of God's goodness that God brought you home. So uh, Ephesians chapter 2, he's writing to young Christians there, and this is what he reminds them of. He says, now listen, I'm going to leave some blanks, and please uh, indulge me a little bit by playing along, if you're willing to, by just saying the word that, that I'm pausing at. Ready? For it is by grace that you have been rescued through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by work so that no one could boast. You realize what he's saying there is you get reconnected to the creator, not because you've been good, but because he was good. It is by grace. A conversation about grace is a conversation about that aspect of God's character that is wildly generous. He gives and he gives and he gives. And he says this rescue project, it's the gift of God. And you didn't work your way into it, not of work, so that we just didn't turn into self-righteous, pompous, religious, I'm above you, not by works, so that no one would boast. Yeah, get it, it's not by works, it's not by works, it's not by works. And, and then it gets confusing because of the very next verse. Uh, four, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to what? So is it works or isn't it? To do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Here's the deal. Works, what I'm calling deeds... They are the result of your rescue. They are not the cause of your rescue. And right now, I just, I just, I'm hopeful and I'm confident that just around our spaces, we go, oh my goodness, I never understood that before. A life of goodness is the result of your rescue, not the cause of your rescue. Using the bicycle image, I would even put it like this. The word is like uh, the gospel. The deeds are the result of the gospel. All right? So, uh, we lost a friend last May. Tim Keller, pastor in New York City, died of pancreatic cancer. I miss him. This is how Tim Keller defined the gospel. Listen to the words carefully. The gospel is, their good news, the good news that God has accomplished our salvation, what? For us, through Christ, in order to bring us into a right relationship with him and eventually destroy the results of sin in the world. What's that last part? And eventually to destroy the effects of sin in the world. This leads us to question three. Question three is, is there hope for the world? Because when we talk about this thing called the gospel, God's activity on our behalf, something that has been accomplished, it relates very well on two levels. One level is it answers a question, how can I be reconciled to God? It's a personal question. How can I, a person, be reconciled to God? But it's not just how God reconciles me. It's how God someday will reconcile everything 
to himself? Is there hope for the world? What this does in a highly individualistic culture is helps us see what the cross does for us, not just what it does for me. So I'm going to take you to the next to the last page of the Bible. Revelation chapter 21. These words are read at funerals a lot for a good reason. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the whole old order of things has passed away. See, this isn't just on a personal level, Jesus saves me. This is on a global level. This is on a cosmic level. Uh, those of you taking notes, uh, write down uh, Colossians chapter 1, down around verse 19 and 20, where it says that God, through the cross, reconciles all things to himself. It feels to me like a total mending of the total brokenness of our world. Does the condition of the world ever trouble you? Does the condition of the world ever mess with you and just discourage you and depress you? Through the cross, someday, all that which is broken will be healed. Which is why I believe Jesus healed some people. Some of the time. As a preview of what was to come. Back to the lake where we started. Jesus rolls up on the lake. There's a big crowd there. He says he welcomed them. He spoke to them. That's the gospel and word about the kingdom of God. And he healed those who needed, needed healing. Jesus healed some of the people some of the time. There are some blind people. He restored their sight. There are some people without use of their limbs, and he restored their ability to walk. There's even three stories of people that are deceased that he brought back to life. A 12-year-old girl, Jairus' daughter, widow's son from the village of Nain, and a friend by the name of Lazarus. Three times. I want to suggest to you there were a whole lot more dead people in Jesus' day than those three. He healed some of the people some of the time. What was he doing? I believe that what Jesus was doing was this. I believe he was giving a preview of an event yet to come in that day when total healing would come to us. Uh, by preview, I mean trailer, as in movie trailer. You go to the theater, 1.15, start time for the movie. You sit there with your barrel of popcorn. And uh, the movie doesn't start at 1.15. What starts at 1.15? The trailers start at 1.15. Little two-minute action-packed, the, oh, by the way, the, what they're trying to do is entice you to watch the movie. And I'll be sitting next to Chris, and, you know, there'll be all oh, this romantic comedy. So she says, we need to watch that. We need to see this one. And then there's this thriller slasher type thing. We are not watching that. You know, so we're deciding as, as we're watching the trailers whether that's a movie someday that we want to see. I believe that what Jesus was doing as he walked beside the Sea of Galilee and healed, I believe it was a trailer. I believe it was a preview for the full and ultimate healing that would come someday. He says, this kingdom of God, I'm bringing it now. It will only fully come at the end of time. I want you to have a taste of it. I want you to have a preview. I believe that that's what the healings of Jesus did. And back to our tandem image of in word and in deed, what I would like to challenge you with about your lifestyle, I just want to ask you the question, what if your lifestyle is to become a preview? A, your life, a preview 
of the healing and reconciliation that will someday come through Christ at the end of time for all of us. When you have a friend that is in suffocating tragedy and loss, desperate loss, desperate tragedy, and you step into their life and with your feeble words offer the best comfort you know how to give, what if that genuine comfort that you offer, the deed of genuine comfort, what if that is a preview of the day when God will wipe away all tears from our eyes? What if your life is a preview of the kingdom that is coming? When you apologize, I'm sorry, shouldn't have said that, shouldn't have said that, I'm sorry. What if that reconciliation with that person, mending a broken relationship, is a preview of the day when total and full and complete reconciliation will take place? When all relationships will be whole, what if your life is to be a preview of the coming kingdom? What if the healing that you do, and by that I mean those of you who work as physical therapists, to help people get moving again after a surgery or accident, what if the healing that you're involved in is really a preview of that day of ultimate healing where it says there will be no more sickness, no more death, no more tears? And those of you that offer healing through listening, when someone has been through a tragedy, it can be incredibly therapeutic to talk through the events of that tragedy and how they unfolded with someone who will just sympathetically listen. It can be incredibly, your work as a healer, as a listener, what if? What if your life is to be a preview of that day when total, complete, and full healing arrives. That's tandem. This should stretch us in the area of our deeds. We should walk out of the building going, am I living as a preview of what God intends to do through the cross in someday making all things whole? So Jesus rose up on the Sea of Galilee with his disciples, and he gets out. There's a crowd there and says he spoke to them the word, and he healed those who were sick. What did the earliest generations of Christians do with that? Next week, uh, we have a guest with us next week, dear friend. Uh, John Dixon is going to be hanging out with us next week. Uh, John is a remarkable speaker on a number of topics. His speciality is Christianity in the early Roman Empire. And John's going to talk to us next week about the hospitals that were started and the care that was given that had, the world had never seen before because this belief that the gospel was to be shared in word and in deed and the difference that it made in that culture. It's next weekend, the weekend after Thanksgiving Day. I wouldn't miss if I were you. It's going to be a great time. Let's just leave with this tandem image. Uh, something needs to be heard and something needs to be seen. Something needs to be heard and something needs to be seen. This should stretch us in at least taking a baby step toward how can I better talk about this Jesus? Something needs to be heard. And it should cause us to reexamine our love 
are serving our healing and desiring deeply to live a life that is in concert with who Jesus was and what he came to do. Thank you, thank you for being at part one today. Let's stand. I'll uh, pray as we go. And remember, in each of our spaces, we have prayer. People, people up front, usually uh, like blue name cards. And uh, if you've got something going on in your life, you just want someone to pray with you before you take off, uh, just find your way up front and find someone, and they can offer prayers before you before you leave our uh, buildings today. Gracious God, we give thanks. We give thanks that we have been in each other's company to digest your word and to digest your way. And please, once again we ask, please mold us, shape us, and transform us into the people that you created us to be. And we ask this in the name of Jesus, who lovingly came for us. Amen. We'll see you next week.